To start today, and first of all, I, I will love to say that it's a tremendous joy to be here, and I think through, through these times and how we have seen the, the fact that we're not being able to be meeting, it's really beautiful to just be able to come back and have these times together. Also, it's impressive to see how technology allows us to connect again, to be able to, to be together, even if we're in different locations, but be together in prayer and the Word and uh, just fellowship. And it's something that some years ago would have been impossible to think of doing. Also want to say that this Sunday and next Sunday, God willing, we will be starting the second epistle of the Apostle John. And if I can be absolutely honest with you, the main reason I thought about preaching on it is because I have never heard the sermon on Second John. So I thought it would be great to do it and thinking that the content of it, it was a little bit vague. For me, I was not that clear what Second John was about. And it was because I haven't read it in so like a long time that I cannot remember what was exactly the same, the, the main topic or the main theme of it. But as I start reading it daily and getting ready to the sermon today, I was impressed by how this beautiful and little epistle can speak volumes to us today in our Christian lives. So just as a little bit of a context, most scholars agree that this epistle was written by the Apostle John around the last decade of the first century. It is possible, it's possible that this is one of the latest Christian documents, and it's for sure one of the latest documents from the apostolic era. This epistle talks mainly about the importance of truth and love in the Christian walk. In a world that has distorted the view of love and truth, this letter is extremely relevant for us today. John will emphasize the importance of having love and truth together. There is love because there is unity in truth. And I'm aware that this message at a certain point for some people could sound divisive or, or not tolerant or even harsh at times or many other different adjectives. But I believe that in the times we're living today, the times where we feel the pressure to respond immediately to the different things that are happening in our world, we need to stop and think to reconsider who is dictating the definition of truth and love and the ways that we should be loving as Christians. I'm not saying anything new here, but we know that the church and the Christian people are in the spotlight of our culture today. How we're going to answer to the current events of our day? Are we going to honor the Jesus that the culture has made, or we're going to honor the Jesus from the Bible? I'm not attempting to be arrogant and say that I will have all the answers this morning, that this sermon will solve all these answers. But what I'm attempting to do today is to invite you humbly to dive with me into the Word of God to try to find God's counsel for the answers of our day and to try to understand what should be our response to be good witnesses of His Majesty. So let's pray and we will start. Father God, we pray this morning just thanking you for your love and 
just being amazed of who you are. And as we go to the scriptures, Father, we pray that you will open our, our understanding and that we will be able to grasp in your word, in your truth, what is real love and what is real truth and what should be our response to this. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. For those who are watching, Father, we pray that as we are facing difficult times and different times for us, Father, we know that you are there. Nothing takes you by surprise, but you have a perfect purpose for your church and for the world through all this. And Father, it's in that trust and hope that we pray this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So please go with me to the second epistle by the Apostle John. We will start reading in verse 1. We will read the, the whole epistle. It's just 13 verses. And Second John says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were written you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in, flesh, in the flesh. Such a, one, such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who go, goes on ahead and, those, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whomever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope, to, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greets you. So if we remember, and today we're going to be studying verses 1 to 6. But if, if we remember, when Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14, 5, he explains to his disciple the function of the church. What's the reason for the church to be established in the world? What is the reason for the church to... And the reason for the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. That's what Paul is instructing Timothy. And we read in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. As we read the Bible, we can see that the church is always linked to truth. The church and the truth have a deep relationship, and there's no possible way to understand the church 
without truth. But which truth? And that is a fair question in our day. Because we all know that in the world that we live in, there's an extreme relativism. Expressions like my truth or your truth or their truth is so common to hear today. But this was not the case in most of humans' existence. Even the non-Christian thinkers, the philosophers, were looking for the truth with article, the article the and capital T, truth. But today, we are experiencing the result of an inherited postmodern world that we receive and that, as a society, we continue to encourage. A lot of Christian churches, or so-called Christian churches, face the challenging to offering people what they want or treating them as customers instead of church members. So many churches, many leaders, many Christian songwriters, many Christian artists have decided to change the message of the Bible for, the, for a message that is less offensive to the current susceptibility. Changing the message is so contrary to the biblical spirit because we are messengers of a message that has been written by a God that does not change. God transcends culture, time, society. The message of the Bible does not have to adapt to the culture, but it's the culture that desperately needs to adopt and submit to the message of the Bible. So this morning, we're going to talk about truth, but we're also going to talk about love, but true love, or love that is based and sustained by truth. Truth and love, and we know this, are the twin rails in which Christianity runs. Christian life holds in one hand truth and in the other one love. It's impossible to understand Christianity without these two. But as truth has been challenged by relativism, love has been challenged as well. Love is probably one of the most misunderstood concepts of Christianity in our day. The definition of love goes from a mere sentimental relative concept to a self-defined concept of what feels good to each individual. Sadly, love and another beautiful concept like Christian unity or Christian fellowship have today a corrupt meaning. In the name of love and Christian unity, Almost every theological or doctrinal statement has a mistake or has allowed a false teaching. For the sake of unity and for the fear of not being called unloving, many have allowed false teaching or mispractice to enter the church. So John is urged to write this epistle to protect believers from false teaching. John is reacting to the the fact that several false teachers were falsely instructing the church. And John is warning the believers about these things. And he's also giving some practical and applicable advice to the Christians of the first century. And this advice helps us today. As we all know... Hospitality was a common practice among Christians at this time and should be a Christian distinctive, according to the scriptures, 
for Christians today. In that time, there was a large number of itinerant teachers like Paul himself that will not go and stay in the Holiday Inn or in the Motel 6 near to town, but they will stay in the houses of the believers. So John is instructing the believers about this practice and how to do it correctly. So in all of this, we're going to be studying four reasons of the preeminence of truth and love. The first reason that we're going to study is the truth, the source of love, based on verses 1 to 3. The second one will be truth, the way to walk, based on verses 4 to 6. The third one will be truth, the main distinctive, based on verses 7 to 11. And truth, the real fellowship, based on verses 12 to 13. So we will start today with our first reason of why love and truth is preeminent. And that is that truth is a source of love, based on verses 1 to 3. That is basically the salutation. The epistle opens with this salutation that it's quite uncommon for the New Testament epistles. And there is a number of explanations that several scholars give to this. John identifies himself as the elders, and some scholars believe that they were writing in, they were writing in the time of the persecution. So to openly express their identity was a little bit dangerous. So they were using a kind of language that will be understandable for the rest of believers without disclosing who they were. Now, John is using the word elder not just as someone with age, but also showing that he has a pastoral position or a reputation among believers. Now, also, the dedication of this salutation and the recipient of the letter is identified as the elect lady. We cannot say with absolute certainty if this letter was written to a particular woman and her family, or it was written to a church and its members. If we read the salutation in a literal way, we will say, well, this was written for a certain lady, her family that John knows, as well as he knows the sister of this lady. But on the other hand, it could be written to a church and its members, though it's not an unusual salutation, because we have some examples of these designations of, using the, of talking to the church as a woman in 1 Peter 5.13. That refers to the church that was in Babylon as she that is chosen. Now, the use of children to refer to other believers is more common in John's language. And we can see that in his, in his first epistle. Now, the salutation makes a clear emphasis on love and truth. Love is used two times in the salutation, one as a verb and the other one as a noun, while truth is used four times. Now, beyond the technicality of the use of the words, it helps to identify the use of certain words that play an important role, because in 2 John, John, there is only 245 Greek words. So when you're using so little words, if you're repeating certain words, you can agree with me that the author is pursuing something with this emphasis or this repetition of a word. John will go ahead to explain a really important theme in this letter. Love comes from truth. John says there that he loves his people, fellow believers, regardless if we are referring here of a community of faith or specific a specific family, John says 
that he loves them in truth. Now, some people could argue, well, he's saying that he truly loves them. Well, if we continue reading in the passage, it says that not only him, but also all who know the truth. So the apostle is making a point here concerning truth and love. There is no denial that we are called as Christians to love people, to love our enemies. But for those who call themselves Christians, the factor that blends love is truth. Our God is a God that decided to reveal himself to humanity through his word. He decided to display his glory and majesty through the word. The written word, the Bible, and the living word, his son. This love that John is expressing is rooted on the truth of the gospel. This community of believers found the source of, his, of their brotherhood love in the word, in the truth. And how different this sounds to the popular teaching of compromising truth for the sake of unity. But in this passage, John is clearly making a point of what is the motivation of love, and that is truth. John will go on in verse 2 to explain why truth is so important. The shared commitment to the gospel, according to John, produces love. If we connect what God is saying here through the Holy Spirit, through John, we can draw a line to connect certain dots. The Lord Jesus Christ is not just true, but he himself is the truth. And we know this because of Jesus' declaration in John 14, verse 6, that it's a so well-known passage. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I can tell you guys, I memorize this in Spanish. Memorizing in English has been really hard for me. But even this one, I know by heart now. It's so a well-known verse that speaks of who Christ is, Christ's identity as truth. He declared himself as truth. He incarnate God, God's truth because he himself is God and therefore he himself is truth and the source of truth. And the truth abides in us, says John, and will be with us forever. I find impossible to break down in such a way that I will be able to put on one side truth and in the other side the Lord Jesus. I believe it's impossible. God himself abides in us through the truth that is himself. The point seems to be extremely re repetitive, I know, but John is making the connection over the passage. He's making sure that the readers fully understand what his point is and what will come next in the letter, because he will attack a false teaching. We don't know if the believers that the apostle that is writing had the bad experience of opening their homes to a false teacher, or there were some people that, that went through that horrible situation, 
And the apostle is trying to prevent them to don't open their doors to a false teacher. I'm convinced, dear brothers and sisters, that this tiny epistle can speak volumes to us today. It seems that the line that divides the seal for truth and the divisive spirit is like a thin line, but it's probably not that thin. Nevertheless, it requires humbleness and a deep desire to love him first with all our hearts, minds, and souls. And as a result of that, we will love with passion his worth. We will love with passion the truth. Not in the other way around, because it could be just an arrogant desire to know. But if our love goes first to Christ, then as a result of that love, we will be able to love truth humbly. The Christians are being called out by several different groups of people that demand Christians to set aside all their differences and find unity at all costs. And you guys have heard a lot about these things, about first, second, and third order, essentials and non-essentials, all those theological differences. But about what we are doing, what we're talking here, I am, and, and the things that I'm not saying, and I'm sure that, and more, more, more importantly, John is not saying that we should fight over non-essentials, but he's saying we need to defend truth. And if what I'm saying this morning is not true, I'm in a big deal of trouble. But if what people, other people are saying, or what I'm saying is true, they are the ones who are in big trouble. I don't need to mention the names of people. I don't need to mention the names of denominations. But we know so, and sadly, we know so many groups that have decided to jump into the ideology of our day that openly contradicts scripture and that defies God in his holiness and we need to be aware of that. In verse 3, John is going to reaffirm what he has been saying about truth and love. But also, he will start the defense of the doctrine of Christ. John uses a normal, for, a normal formula in the greeting in the epistolary genre, but there are also some significant differences that speak a lot about John's point and, and what he's trying to make in his argument. John chose three blessings, and I love how Professor Akin puts it in his commentary, and he says, Truth, truth's companions are their fault in our text. They are grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God doing for us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not doing to us what we do deserve. Peace is personal wholeness and well-being in all aspects of life. And we have a beautiful example of what peace is in Romans 5 that tells us that peace was accomplished by God for us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified, declared righteous before God by Jesus Christ, and we can enjoy peace with God. Now, verse 3 continues saying that these three blessings come out from God and the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. And he will emphasize this because of what comes in verse 7. And we will expand about this. We will talk about this doctrine next Sunday. But for today, it's good to say that the church was facing the attacks of docetism teaching, which was the denial of the reality that Jesus was human, that he came in flesh. So for the Gnostics, the physical world was bad in itself. So it was impossible for them to believe that Jesus had a corporal body, a physical body, because for them, everything that was physical was bad. So they were denying that Jesus Christ came in flesh. But we will address this very topic next week. But he insists on the idea that these blessings will come to them in truth and love. And you can see the end of the verse. He's, he, he's talking about those who abide in this love and abide, abide in this truth, in truth and love. Jo, John is making here a distinction of those who believe fully the teaching of Christ and those who do not. Those who believe in this doctrine, says John, will receive the blessings and those who don't will not. They are separated from God, they don't have the Father and the Son. Now, the second reason this morning we're going to talk about of why truth and love is preeminent is that truth is the way to walk. John opens this section with words of joy and happiness because of the children, and we talk about this could be certain people or a group of faith, a church members, but they are walking, and these words of encouragement to the lady is because her children are walking in truth. We understand that to walk in the truth, it expresses or shows the fact that someone is living in accordance to the truth and to the commandments. For those, who are, those of you who are parents, or those who are church leaders here, or just as normal individuals, We find so much joy when someone recognizes that our children are well-behaved and are walking in the truth. For pastors or church leaders, it's so encouraging to hear that your flock is walking in the truth. And for us as Christians, it's really exciting when we hear that someone says that they recognize that we are walking in truth. So that's the, the... the way that John will open this salutation and this interaction with the lady. And as I was thinking about preaching this Sunday, I was debating whether to preach on 2 John for the reason that I just told you, or about prayer. Now, my main motivation on preaching about prayer was because it's so personal and because I don't know anyone who thinks that their prayer life could not be better or could not be deeper or could not be more often or constant or intentional. So we know 
that we are constantly falling short or we feel we're constantly falling short and that we can always do better. So if we think of that, it's really exciting that John is recognizing a group of fellow believers saying, you guys are living in accordance to the truth. Now, the text doesn't give us more information about what the author is referring specifically. We don't know if he's referring that they are resist, resisting false, false teachers or that they have been hospitable or that they are loving each other or probably the three of them or some other part of truth. We don't know what John is referring to. But what we can see here is that John recognizes that this group of believers are living in accordance to God's commands. Now, verse 5 and 6, John is going to explain what this command is about. Now, first of all, John is making clear that we are not talking about any new command, but he uses the same expression that he used in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, where he's reminding the audience that the command that they are receiving is an old commandment that in some way expresses some new things, but it's the same old command of love. This command was given as a new command, commandment by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 13, verses 34 and 35. So the Lord Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So verse 35 in the Gospel of John reminds us that the main way people will know we are disciples of Christ is if we love each other among fellow believers. And verse 34 says in the same Gospel of John, he will set the standard in the same way that Jesus loved us, that's the standard, that same way we ought to love others. So, dear brothers and sisters, it's worthy and it's important that we're talking about this today, where love and truth are so challenged and so defined by anyone. It's not just about love as a sentiment that depends on each person, but it's about love based on the immutable truth of an immutable God. A God that doesn't change has a truth that doesn't change. And this is so important that John is writing this. And he will emphasize that the Lord, Lord's command is to love one another. And now John will define what is love, which is really great for us today. In our day, in the name of love, and specifically in the, in the name of Christian love, so many doctrinal atrocities are happening. People are calling good what God has called wrong or bad. People are calling acceptable what God has declared to be sinful and unacceptable. But John doesn't allow his audience to continue in confusion. It's possible that this confusion and these abuses towards love are not unique of our time, but it was happening to them. But John himself has to define what love is. And specifically, 
which love he's talking about. Capital letters, this love he will say. John will explain in his definition and will say what's the real command. And the real command is about true love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. The love is linked to God's commandment. And someone could say today, and people are saying today, well, the world is changing. We are in different times. The society is evolving. Now we know other things that we didn't know some time ago. So this should change, and the way we interact with things should change. Well, John's words resound even deeper. We need to conform our lives into the commandment that we heard in the beginning. John will make the point, don't go away from the commandment that was in the beginning, regardless of what changes. And Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 that are so well known, talks about that and implies that things will change. I appeal, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect." We are called to be, to be a living sacrifice. We cannot conform ourselves to this world, but we need to experience the renewal and the transformational power of God's truth. And God's will, by definition, is good, acceptable, and perfect. In summary, John is telling us and telling them to demonstrate their love, but not just by loving each other, but by walking according to the truth. John, in a beautiful way, is telling them to walk in the command to love and love the command in which you walk. Truth is not just something we'll believe and something that we think we should be doing something about, but it's what we want to live for and it's what we want to live out. This puts a big responsibility on our shoulders, for sure. But it's because we know the truth. That's why we have a responsibility. We have the light for a world that is going in darkness. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, what is the use of salt if it loses its saltiness? I start saying that the church are, is the pillars and the buttress of truth. We cannot afford to lose that. That's our purpose. That's our reason to be. Next week, we will continue to see John's warnings against false teachers, the implications of these false teachings, and how practically we can respond to such people. Loving our brothers and sisters is central to the gospel. 
real love and truth always must lead us to loving others who likewise love the truth. Our love for the truth of the gospel must lead us to rejoice when we see others living out and obeying the gospel. I truly believe that this text is so important for all of us at these times. When people declare that it's unloving to call sin what is sin, to call wrong what is wrong. And we're not talking here about we Christians having a moral superiority. But a love for the truth of God's worth. The fact that we are children of grace, that we are called to love, does not negate the necessity to be obedient to the truth that comes out from God's worth. God is sovereign. Jesus is king. And he holds the right to tell his creatures how to live. We fall into deep error when we think that rules and a loving relationships are antagonistic. Any healthy relationship has rules. It is so popular to say that Christianity is not a religion, that is not a set of rules that we have to check off, but it's a relationship with the most precious person that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is true. But Second John invites us this morning to consider that there is no love that is not attached to the perfect truth that it's indeed the Lord Jesus Christ himself and that compels us to defend that truth, to walk in truth and to live according to his commandments. Let's pray. And Father God, we, we know this is a huge responsibility and we know that it could be frightening when we see the world and we see all the things that are happening. But Father, we know that as you sustain our brothers in centuries past, you will sustain us. And we know that your church will prevail even though there's attacks. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that these words Father, that comes from your scripture and that it's the truth of your scripture. Father, that we will be transformed and compelled to live according to your commandment. Father, I pray that any of my mistakes in my study or my delivery of this message will be set apart and your Holy Spirit will convict my brothers and sisters with your truth. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the blessings that we receive through you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.